We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, riding shotgun, Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network. We're here talking about the final week, the ultimate weekend in the NFL, week 18. Taking a look around the AFC East, and man, is it a sorry, is it a sorry state of affairs? It's interesting because there's so much that should change, and then there's so much that won't. And to talk a little bit about that, we bring in tonight's first guest, Mr. Christian Simonelli, Patriots fan extraordinaire, who's done a phenomenal job hanging in with us all year while his team, you did it, right? You lost to the Jets. You boys did it. You secured a top three pick. Congratulations. This is a great loss. Now, it's kind of ironic when I think about the state of the Patriots today and what I'm seeing in the media. I go back to Tom Brady's exit from Foxborough. You know, you, you think about this. It, it was about as unceremonious as I can remember. Yeah, you had that gross wild card loss to the Dolphins, or loss to the Dolphins that forced you into the wild card round. Followed up by that loss to the Titans, where his final throw in a Patriots uniform ends up as a pick six. And I just, I still have it DVR'd. I'll still watch it sometimes because I'm when you're feeling blue. I'm a bad person. <laughs> and I just I, I I'm a, what do they call them? Energy vampires. Mm-hmm. Like I feed off other people's misery in a way that you can't believe. Like you'd have to see it to believe it. So you have this and then Tom Brady's all of a sudden just in the offseason. It's not that there's no pomp and circumstance. There's no big thing. It's just a very like quiet. Just he's gone. And. So with Bilicek, I guess 
we all thought having sung his swan song. Obviously, it's not going to be an easy divorce between the Patriots because that would be too easy, right, Christian? Yeah, we don't we don't do anything easy around here. Everything is is deliberate and uh, you know dragged out. We don't we don't we don't do anything nothing easy around. Everything's the hard way. So I texted you a clip that I saw, and then what was that? WFAN wasn't WEI. It was WFAN. I texted you a clip of two announcers talking about the fact that Bill Belichick started his Monday morning presser the morning after the loss. And it seemed like a throwaway comment at the time, but it's not. And he just reminded everybody, well, I'm still under contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That was a choice by the Patriots organization to extend him. That was Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <clears throat> and now there's this weird. Th- <laughs> exactly. And there's this weird thing now where the team maybe wants him gone but also doesn't want to pay him. <laughs> so they're hoping they can offload him somewhere, but that would have to come with his acceptance of whatever coaching. Well, well, and then he throws out the little like, well, I'll cede control of the personnel if that's what they ah! want me to do. So it's kind of like, I'm not leaving. You can't make me leave. It's like, well, you kind of can make me leave, but I'm willing to work with you if you're going to try to make me leave because I really want that wins record and I really don't want to move. Christian, how is this being received by the Patriots fan base? Yeah, we were all pretty surprised, A, Monday morning that the press conference was so early. Usually it's like around like 8, 30, 9 o'clock and 7, 30. You know, I, I woke up and, and um, you know, I, I, I go on uh, the Patriots app and it's like Bill Belichick press room. And I was like, well, that's wow, it's early for them to put the link. And I clicked on it and he's on in like five minutes. And I'm like, whoa, I'm like, this is this is weird. And he never brings up his contract. You guys are right. Never, ever, never talks about his contract. The reporters kind of did a bit of a crappy job because I think they were all caught. So caught off guard following up with that. Um, Cause my next question would be, yeah, well, since you mentioned your contract, by the way, how many years you got left on that thing? Like something to that effect, but they mm-hmm. didn't. So um, I think that was Bill playing the game. Just saying, by the way, if you want, if you want to get rid of me, you're going to have to pay me what's rumored to be 25 million a year. Um, and oh I, God. I do, you know, I, and as, as if the days have gone on, you know, what's been reported and I've been going back and forth with people, you know, I text too, like fans, like all this stuff has been coming out that, well, they don't just meet once after uh, the season. They usually meet a couple of times. There'll be multiple meetings. So he was right about that. And, I trust Tom Curran on these things, like because he was pretty pretty much right about Brady when he left, and he's I think he's been pretty much on point with uh, with with Belichick, and that the decision has been made. They're just slowly uh, going through the process to uh, you know break up the the marriage of twenty four years, and and apparently Mayo is the next guy, and apparently they don't have to com- they don't have to contend. With or comply, excuse me, with the Rooney Rule because there's some something apparently in the Rooney Rule, the definition of the Rooney Rule, that if you have a replacement that's been groomed under, you don't need to go through it. I don't know, but either way, I'm going with that. It's but just also, taking a little bit longer to, to break up the I mean, marriage. May, May, Mayo, Mayo is the Mayo. Rooney Rule, right? Like, but he is the Rooney right. Rule. He's the thing that <laughs> like I if want. you no hire the fight. guy, you don't need to interview the guy, right? No one would fight it right. because they'd say, "Hey, it, right. this is a minority right. head coach getting an opportunity." So here's so the interesting interesting thing to me, that, right? But I think there's even 
Yeah, go ahead, Christian. I think there's even the, the clause in there, though, that even if he wasn't a minority, that they wouldn't have to comply with it, that there's there's some stipulation, which I never heard of before and I thought was kind of weird. Well, is that why um, they add that, like, assistant that you head had coach in house. title? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, something yeah. along those lines, yeah. Now, the interesting thing to me is because <clears throat> this has kind of been slow-played a little bit, I think the Vrabel firing kind of caught some people off guard. And then all of a sudden, like right after it was like, well, Vrabel might be interested in the Patriots job if it comes available. Like, does that throw a wrench in maybe what Kraft was thinking? Like, is there is there anything that you're hearing where Vrabel becomes a legitimate candidate for that for that job? I think it's more of the media at this point. I, I, I haven't necessarily... Um... You know, the media just kind of filling the time between when Bill's fired and then the next guy is hired to throw him out there. Well, he was at the Hall of Fame ceremony in October, and, you know, he made this statement. And, and apparently the Titans owner didn't look kindly upon that, the statement where he said, you know, don't take this for granted. It's not like this everywhere uh, in reference to the Patriots organization. So I think people, especially in the media, have been running with that. But I I firmly believe that that – that and again, this is my faith in the ownership. Maybe it's misguided. Maybe it's misplaced. This is my faith that they're good ownership. That they've made this decision months ago. That they've had the pieces in place to move forward with the transition, and they're not going to let something like this at the eleventh hour say, "Geez, Mike Vrabel now throws a, a wrench into the plans," and you know we got to consider him. I just don't think they operate like that. I pray to God that they don't knee-jerk reaction operate like that. Sure. And that's what I'm going on. I can hear something sure. here. What Christian? How about this? This is a great idea. You just bring this shit full circle, and you go out and you get yourself Pete Carroll. Good it's God. a great, yes! great idea. Good God. <laughs> 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 Let me tell you, this has been freaking awesome. Freaking awesome. Fourteen years. Um, that press conference was beautiful. By the way, that was that was pure Pete today. I loved every minute of that. Um, I love Pete Carroll. Are you kidding me? He's a spry 72. Bring him in. He's a spry 72. Spry Here, 72. Here's, here's what I will say. My favorite thing to come out of the weekend, I texted it to you just to get just to get a rise out of you. Rumors surfacing of like, hey, if Bill isn't let go, he might bring Josh McDaniels oh, back. I saw that. I saw now, that. I will say the oh, motivation to broadcast that. It's certainly not to do Bill any favors, right? Right. And I, this whole thing with bringing people back. Um, it's a Patriots um, tradition, listen, though. <laughs> like, it really me, is. It is. It is. It is. Get, get rid of him. Bring him back. Um, Tom Brady made so many careers from Charlie Weiss to – uh, Matt Patricia to Joe Judge Romeo Cornell. I mean, it, it, Cornell. the list is endless. To Josh McDaniels, um, it, it's 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 incredible. Um, Eric Mangini got a head coaching job. The man genius. The man genius. The man genius. <laughs> you know, I just I'm I'm oh, I'm over it. I I I am not from all everything you you hear and you read and, and what people say again the media. Mayo's a coach, is, is, a, is a CEO type guy. He's a, a you know a player's coach. Um, it wouldn't be the same, uh, uh, you know, like it like it would be under Bill. It would be different. Except you retained him last year to learn from Bill, and you put him at hips, at Bill's hip the yeah. whole season. And you said that in a press release that you were extending him and that he was going to be part of the search for an offensive coordinator. And he was going to yeah. be with Bill. So it was the same thing when Josh McDaniels 
at the 11th hour uh, spurned the Indianapolis Colts when uh, the report came out that Josh was staying and that, quote, Bill Belichick was going to open up his world to Josh McDaniels. I'm well, sorry. You've only been with them 15 years. Yeah, what else? You if, you, open your world to if you haven't learned anything from some uh, from a right. guy after 15 years, you're not going to learn from him. And, and I'm not going right. to lie to you. I'll say this. The Colts dodged a bullet. <laughs> the Colts don't know that it, was, but they that dodged. Was the, that was a the second time. Bullet. That was the second time they dodged a bullet. The first time was when Jim Harbaugh punched out Jim Kelly, and they wound up lucking into Peyton Manning. <laughs> right. I, I'm looking at right. this for the Patriots saying, for as much as I don't want them to have a head like a quality head coach, because it would be funny to watch them go the way of the Jets, where they just continue to hire just clown after clown after clown. I mean. Robert Sala, I've made no bones about it. He sound, he talks the way that I think the script writers of Fast and the Furious wrote that first movie. For Diesel. They go, <laughs> this is how a tough guy talks. <laughs> it's just a bunch of dorks in a room going, this is how a tough guy speaks. I feel like that's what happened. Robert Sala is a guy that goes out and wins a 9-3 football game on the last week of the year when it doesn't fucking matter. And then fist pumps position. and goes, we're tough. Yeah. We're tough, guys. And he, say, he says a lot of emphatic things that I think he actually believes, which is sad. And I, I want to see that for the Patriots, but also I kind of want there to be some kind of balance here because what <laughs> we're quickly finding out is that Mike McDaniel might not be the savant that we were sold. He's one and four against our head coach. Well, there are idiot savants. Don't forget about that. <laughs> there are idiot savants. <laughs> what, I, what I know is somebody has to be the next team to try to step into the arena I I have my doubts that I mean, it's going to be Tua Tungvaloa and Mike McDaniel. Let's be honest, though. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if the this if, became the NFC the Patriots, North, and we just ran it for. Or if you became what the AFC East was for twenty years before Buffalo took hold of it. Like, I'm good with the Bills with with uh, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, and then a bunch of nobodies trying to chase at them and and nip at their heels. Christian, how do you feel about that? Are you good with that? Yep. <laughs> he says, yeah. I, I, look, I, I, you know, I told you in the summer I had, uh, you know, I was away with my wife down Monsters Vineyard and, and, and I had a Patriots hat on and I had four little punk dolphin fans walk by in front of me and go, fins up, baby, fins up to her. And I looked at my wife and I go, yeah, I got nothing. And they all like, and they all just fist bumped me. You know, in other words, like I got nothing to say anymore. I can't say anything uh, until we get a head coach and until we get an offense that resembles at a bare minimum, um, you know, functionality you can score over fourteen points a game. So, you guys want to have your fun and, and run with the AFCs for a little bit? Have at it. Oh, it's Christian. Just do what. Just do what the rest of the Dolphins fans do. And as a Patriots fan, just live in the past. Just live in the just past. Remind them of Super Bowls that were won forty odd years ago before anybody of any of them were ever alive, and just be like, yeah. Call me, kid. You're eight years old. Call me when you've got a ring. That's why I respect Christian. He was at least alive for them. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, it's like Patriots listen. fans as insufferable as they've been for Bills uh, fans. At I, least I mean, they earned it, right? Like at least their team was good. Dolphins fans haven't earned anything. Fuck them. Kick you. Punt those no, little kids, no, Christian. I mean, look, the fact of the matter is, the the fact of the matter is, is that their parents and grandparents were their age when they went undefeated. That's how old and that's how <laughs> that was the last time they won. So I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty pathetic. Christian, 
We love you. It's going to be interesting. Christian, before to see. you go, I'm interested. How's your draft prep going? Who do you like at three? Yes. All right, look, I got a rule. Okay, here's the rule. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't. I don't stop. I will. I will not. You could tie me to a chair and and throw my eye my eyelids open. I am not looking at a mock draft or a prospect. At a minimum, until after the Super Bowl is over, I Christian, can't do it. Christian, I can't do it. I know Christian, it's been a while. It's been a while since you guys tough, have been bad. As a Bills fan, I can tell you. Those, dra- those mock drafts start coming earlier and earlier. <laughs> yeah. Then you start playing the mock draft game from Pro, from, uh, pro Football Focus. That, dra- that mock draft game is pretty addicting. Stay off, stay off that. Yeah, that's, that's, pro- that's probably why I went on a blocking spree on X like around October because they started popping up then. So. Won't, won't be too long before Christian's <laughs> like, well, you know, if we trade back from three to five, we can pick up an extra couple, couple <laughs> second-round picks. I can pick up another first-round pick next year. You know, nope. Drake May is not that different from Caleb Williams. It's worth the extra picks. Uh, it, it's... I'm totally the opposite of that, by the way. I'm the Mike Dicker. I trade my whole draft for one player. <laughs> <laughs> this is... This is why I love this show. It's these conversations. Christian, thank you so much for being a part of this. We're going to end things next week, and I can't wait to talk to you about our season finale. (laughs) Christian's already had his season finale. Christian, (laughs) where can everybody find you on Twitter if they want to be a part of these types of conversations? At Chris with a T-I-A-N and... um... Don't worry, I'll still be on there for playoffs. We can we can go back and forth. Christian's a good follow. If you don't yes. follow him already, make sure you follow him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So switching gears, Ryan, from one team that needs to change coaches to a team that's already staunchly said they will not. The New York Jets, who beat the Patriots and shot themselves in the leg like Cheddar Bob in the process. (laughs) Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, there'll be no drama over coaching staffs like there will be in New England this offseason, despite what a lot of Jets fans and outsiders who just like good coaching think should happen. So with a GM and a head coach still in place, what can we hope to gain from this upcoming Jets offseason? So first of all, I would say that there are a lot of Jets fans that are not only unhappy with Salah coming back, I'd say it's a little on the split side, but they are really unhappy that nobody is getting held accountable 
for the fact that this was like the worst offense in 60 years. No one is walk, even walking the plank, and there are easy scapegoats to sacrifice here. Keith Carter, the offensive line coach, who did a terrible job. And even though he had a bunch of injuries, I mean, it was horrendous how bad that O-line was in the communication. <laughs> Nate Hackett, we know why he's not going anywhere. There's no mystery. Dude, but, then, but that's course, a guy. Like, I, that's the guy. Like, if, I was, if I'm on a pirate ship and I go, wait a minute. There's no mutiny coming, but if there's a guy that I can just shove off the plank, it's got to be this guy because I don't even still I still don't know what he actually does here. And you just pitch fork him right well, off that rail. Well, you know what it is, man. And and look, we can beat around the bush, but this is the reality of the situation. When the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, they were getting a guy who is probably one of the 10 best quarterbacks who's ever lived, right? And not only that, but you're talking about a franchise that, other than one year of Brett Favre, hasn't come close to hitting on a quarterback in any way since they drafted Chad Pennington almost 25 years ago, right? They've been desperately trying to find somebody to to fill this hole, and they finally got this guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time and all that. And the, the reality <laughs> of the situation is when a guy like that goes somewhere – you saw it with Brady, although it obviously wasn't as publicized because Rodgers te- seems to be much more of a heat magnet and all that. Mm-hmm. But a guy like that is going to be able to have more or less as much say as he wants. I mean, from what you understand, a big part of the reason Arians stepped aside is because Brady didn't want him there anymore, right? And there were other players. They brought in Antonio Brown. They brought mm-hmm. in Gronk. Now, Antonio Brown quit bad. on you guys in the middle of a game. Like, right. Can, can, can I can I say this? Most of the decisions that have been made for the Jets, Ryan, you're old enough like I am to know that the Jets have had a very long road. They had a brief like the Rex Ryan two back to back AFC Sanchez, championship yeah. games with Mark Sanchez. It feels like forever ago because it was. It's almost a decade ago. And before that, they were this weird brand of mediocre. There was a conversation happening over today on WGR 550 where they were talking about who, like the hierarchy of Bill's rivalry games. And they were saying Miami, obviously number one with a bullet because we had the nineties. We had the back and forth and the acrimony and the, the genuine dislike, the Brian Cox stuff. Then there's the team like the Steelers who just seemed to like take things from us. Every time we ran into them, they were always just better, more physical, more well-coached. And they may not have star players, but they didn't need them. They would just rough us up. And then they went down the list and they were talking. And where they landed was that the Jets have never really been a factor in terms of a rivalry for the Bills. Other than the couple years Rex Ryan was here, which was kind of manufactured, and even that didn't go the Jets' way. Because we the one shot they had at making the playoffs, we beat them. So it it's turned into this thing where the Jets, in the minds of most Bills fans, is that, well, they've never been well-coached, and they've never had a ton of star power, and they've never been put together as a franchise, so we've never regarded them as a threat, which prevents a rivalry from being born and in that way scott i look at what you're talking about now and you're like well they're they're not gonna move on from this guy they're not gonna move on from that guy they're gonna keep the band together and do a thing that you just proved was still broken even if you had aaron Rodgers, this would have been a bad thing and in fact it could have it could have gotten worse 
you could have watched Aaron Rodgers melt down on the sideline as his offensive line failed him and his skill players failed him and the tight ends didn't do exactly what he wanted and Randall Cobb is old as shit and Ellen Lazard ran the wrong routes or just simply couldn't get open and eventually got benched. Like, now there's wrestling matches between the coaches as to whether or not to bench him, make him a game day inactive. You guys actually dodged that bullet this year. And it showed you what your roster was. Now, the question is, how do you fix that? In the minds of fans, well, anyway. How do you build a little bit of credibility in the eyes of fans leaving this season? Well, look, I think the obvious answer here is that the Jets have to go out and be very aggressive in the offseason and fix the offense. Look, I've said this before. I think... The Jets are in a situation now where clearly they have got to put every resource they have available to them, which would be money in free agency and high caliber draft choices, of which they don't have a ton, towards fixing the offense. Look, the defense may not be as dominant as it was this year. For example, Bryce Huff is a free agent. I assume push comes to shove the Jets will franchise tag him. And a lot of Jets fans are saying they've got to sign him, they've got to pay him and all that. The thing is, though, the Jets used two straight first-round picks on edge rushers. Jermaine Johnson had a really nice year this year. Will McDonald didn't get a lot of run early, played a lot more later in the season, and I thought he made the most of a lot of... uh, He made the most of limited snaps. Bryce Huff has become a really good edge rusher, but... Can the Jets pay him $20 million when they may need to use that money elsewhere? And more to the point, if they tag him and some team is willing to do a deal similar to what the Bears did for Montez Sweat, give up a second-round pick, let's say, can the Jets afford to not take that pick and then use it to help fix their broken offense? Yes. It's an interesting question. And ultimately, I think if – the Jets want the fans back on their side in terms of thinking that they may have some semblance of a clue in terms of what they're doing overall as an organization is they've got to get aggressive. Look, if these, if any of those big wide receivers become available, the Jets absolutely have to do everything they can to land one. I'm still not convinced Devontae Adams gets traded. I think it's a lot less likely than people seem to believe. Well, it's hard, I right? Would, like, it's hard to move a guy who has a cap number like that, right, Ryan? Well, yeah. I mean, the Jets only have $12 million in cap space heading into next season. I think it's right up now. to 16. Is it 16 now? Yeah. I think it's so, up to 16. But, Scott, I thought I thought Aaron Rodgers was going to fix the offense. Like, well, is, isn't see, that what they're what banking on? Is that just, well, Rodgers is going to be back next year, so just run it back and we'll be fine. Well, see, that's the thing. The problem was, and I said it many times, and I said it on, on this show a couple of times, what my concern going into the season was that the Jets' philosophy in the offseason seemed to be Aaron will fix it. You had questions about Nathaniel Hackett, don't worry, Aaron will fix it. You had questions about the receiving core, don't worry, Aaron will fix it. You had issues with what they did paying Dalvin Cook, don't worry, Aaron will fix it. He was supposed to be the fix it. He was even going to fix Zach Wilson. Right? Just, that was just because what, another- his hair is long now doesn't mean he's Jesus. I mean, let's let's call it what it well, is. Well, and now and now you're now if, if that philosophy is Aaron will fix it. It's Aaron coming off of of an Achilles tear will fix it, right? Yeah. Like, 
right. it's not going to get any easier. We saw what Von so, Miller looked like. Right. And what, was what I'm saying essentially is. So, so I guess what the, I, well, so what I was going to say is as we talk about this and as we kind of round this conversation out, because we obviously know the season didn't go the way Jets fans wanted it to. Not from the fourth snap of the year did it go the way your team wanted it to. So you now have to try to take what you have left, cobble it together and make it something because you can't leave this two year, maybe three year engagement with Aaron Rodgers with nothing or else it's a giant failure as an organization and your coach won't survive it. Your GM won't survive it. Where do you see them? Like where do you see their focus being? If they're not going to change the coaching staff, if they're not going to make major changes, oh. like where, where do you see the big changes for the Jets coming in the offseason? <coughs> Scott, did we lose you? You there? I'm here. I was in the Drew Coffin. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Know. So I think it really comes down to what we said, which is the philosophy seemed to be Aaron will fix it. But they have to, I assume, have figured out from this season that Aaron Rodgers in and of himself wasn't going to be enough to mask all of these issues. And Rodgers himself said this both on the McAfee show and his last appearance the on the McAfee show. Yeah. Before he got kicked off, not his last appearance. It was his last appearance for the season. He'll be back next season. Okay. Go, go read these tweets. Okay. Anyway, the point I'm making is this season had to be exposed to them as Rogers clearly understands that they need to make serious changes on the O line and they need to upgrade those receivers, how they do that. I don't know, but I think Rogers sort of backed off of what he said the other day, which was that everyone's on the hot seat. But whether he says it or not, we all know it. Because as far as everybody is concerned at this point, if you have a healthy Rogers, you have no excuse to not at least make the playoffs. And even if you don't, you now know the risk of Rogers getting hurt. You didn't really take it seriously last year. You better do it now you just with the ghost of joe flacco right so you better have a contingency plan for if something happens again they know that their jobs are on the line now and they have to act accordingly and whether or not they figure out how to do that through the draft through free agency is the big challenge but i think they know their jobs rest on it i think you could see some desperate moves i think it's possible that the Jets use a lot of future cap space to try and work things out now, which is not ideal. But when you have a coach and a general manager who are potentially fighting for their jobs, it's something that you're potentially going to see. I think you may see some panic moves in the draft even, but it is what it is. And I think we all know, like you said, the Jets have at most probably best case scenario three years with Rodgers worst case it could be a one and done we don't know he's going to be 41 next year who has any idea what he'll look like coming off an Achilles and who knows how much longer he'll feel like he can play so 
the Jets have got to go out. They've got to add pieces for that offense, no matter what it takes. If that means they've got to <laughs> find ways to get out of paying some of their better defensive players like Bryce Huff and maybe get a draft pick, they got to do what they got to do there. Sacrifices are going to have to be made, but that offense has to be fixed because if it isn't, if we're being real about it, we already saw what this roster looks like. You know, Rodgers would help, certainly, no question, but this was never a Super Bowl contender. A lot of people fooled themselves into thinking it was. If they actually want to be even anywhere close to that, they have got to do what they need to do in terms of the weapons, whether that's tight end, wide receiver, whatever, and helping to protect Aaron Rodgers. It's that simple. And it's also not that simple because it's not going to be an easy fix. Yeah, I mean, because you're, you're losing, like, the majority of your offensive line, right? I know McGovern's gone. Becton, I believe, is, is a free agent. I know Dwayne Brown's 39, so he's probably going to retire. But What about I mean, Ferguson? I mean, B- Billy Turner is another one. He's been He's been some decent depth for you guys this year. I mean, it's not like you can just say... He gave you nothing on that. Nothing. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> takes to brick us off Ferguson jokes around here. <laughs> referring to Billy Turner as decent depth is like referring to McDonald's as fine cuisine. Hey, but as, I, hey, I as, Bills fans, as Bills fans, we had decent depth in Quentin Spain for how long, Drew, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah. just those guys that are like, he's so, back again? So, so this is where I'll leave this. As, as we kind of round the segment out, Here's where I'll leave this. Scott, you guys have a lot of work ahead of you. We all know it. Your podcast is flush with the talk. I guess I just hope that for you guys, you find a way to insert yourself into the conversation of what is the AFCs because you guys just spent the last week of the year fighting fighting with the Patriots in a game neither team really wanted to win. That's not where you want to be. And yet it's where you've – because just just as recently as the last time you played the Bills in, like, a a season-ending game, you guys had aspirations. You had growth mindset. You had things that you – like, you remember that game. It was Zach Wilson. They go, he looked good early on, and then the Bills kind of took over. It was 27-10. It wasn't a big deal. The Bills won the AFC East. But that was like a thing people looked at and said, that's a stepping stone for Zach Wilson. This is a growth year. <clears throat> Never materialized. Eventually, you guys are going to have to string together some growth years for young players because that's going to be how you do it without the cap space. And I'm just hoping that your coaching staff can find the composure to f- develop. But the, problem is, but the problem is you're doing that with a 41-year-old Aaron Rodgers. I know. But <laughs> the reality is, is that I'm just hoping that for your team so they can insert themselves back in this conversation. Now, as they try to figure out the draft and free agency and all of the other things, you're going to be covering all of it over at Play Like a Jet. Tell everybody where they can find your content and where they can follow you on social media. Well, we will be talking plenty about the CM Punk of the NFL Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. Plenty of others. Well, excellent question, by the way, Shelton. You can <laughs> Aaron, find Aaron us- Rodgers is not straight edge, though. Don't get that. That's that's where uh, the CM Punk comparisons stop. That's a very good point. I also think there's a good chance he could probably beat up the Young Bucks, though. So there's <laughs> a parallel there. Is. You can catch Play Like a Jack pretty much anywhere that you get podcasts. Well, literally anywhere that you get podcasts. 
And we've got playlikeajet.com. We're working on some things there. We'll see. We're going to hopefully try and relaunch something in the not-so-distant future. We've also got our store at tpublic.com. And, guys, I will say this has been a depressing season as a Jets fan for a variety of reasons. But as much as the frustration is there, we do have to remind ourselves that Aaron Rodgers will be healthy, at least on paper, for next year. The Jets do have an opportunity (coughs) to go out and get – some good players and build around Rodgers for a short run. And it's worked before it worked in Denver. It worked in Tampa. So you never know. So that's what I'm saying to my fellow jets fans. The jets have a lot of work ahead of them this off season, but anytime you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, even at age 40 heading to 41, you at least have a puncher's chance if you can do the right things around him. So for those that have stuck with me through this very difficult time as a Jets fan. I appreciate it, and I hope that those of you that jumped off come back for the ride, and those of you that haven't tried the show yet will come and listen to the show as well. Gentlemen, as always, of course, I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate Drew rolling his eyes and pounding the desk when I make my inevitable wrestling reference. (laughs) And I got to open a fresh one for this, Ryan. As we welcome to the show, I, I mean... I don't know if you can hear that. It almost sounds like the Halloween theme song. You know, a little Michael Myers action. Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry is here to talk to us about the Miami Dolphins, the second place in the AFC East Miami Dolphins, who lost to the Bills 21-14 this weekend. Like a moonshine-fueled teenager, Elf. They did the thing. They tripped and fell, twisted an ankle, fell down some stairs, and watch Josh Allen do his best Michael Myers impression as he stalked you down and just absolutely murdered what was your hopes of breaking the division title drop? Well, I, I, would, I would say it was a little bit more, a little different than that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can step back from the entire season and say, look, and by the way, I don't, I don't want to ever hear anybody complain about injuries ever again and compare them to the Miami Dolphins because this is not even normal. All right. Not only did we lose our, our two edge rushers, but then we decided, you know what, let's lose two more against the, the, the Buffalo Bills. And this year we're signing everybody off the street that we can find. Bruce okay. Irvin, I think, is playing for you guys this weekend. Yeah, uh, Bruce Irvin and Justin Houston are playing on the outside this week. Okay, We're down to edge rusher number six and seven. Okay, And, of course, Cam Good destroys his ACL. So that's the young guy that we had on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, he destroys his ACL on that punt return. But uh, I took that game very, very differently. Uh, Dolphins got everything going their way. They had Josh Allen in meltdown mode in the first half. Played really well in the second half. But even then, they got a turnover by Christian Wilkins on the sack fumble, which I think was the best defensive play of the year by Christian Wilkins. Wait, you mean like right he, in, right, right, right next to the one where he reached into the pile and grabbed Josh Allen's junk again? Uh, I, you guys are seeing video that I'm not seeing because I, I saw video – being thrown my way all day about that and I'm like all I see is he's piling on and then somebody's upset you know and it's on fourth down so I don't know I don't know what, right. what happened there but I thought Miami had that that game in hand and they just essentially just blew it on special teams ball goes off a helmet Eli Apple forgets to keep playing through the whistle and well it's because he's offense, Eli Apple I don't th- I don't it's it's fair to question when you look at the statistics out of that game 
whether he knows to play before the whistle either. <laughs> well, the man intercepts a uh, intercepts a ball in the end zone, and then stumbles when there's like ninety yards of green grass he, in front of him. And he not only stumbled. My favorite part of that entire sequence is watching Eli Apple. Ryan, you know exactly the play. He gets the interception. He brings it out of the end zone, and then it's almost like he has buyer's remorse. Yeah, he, goes, he realizes he shouldn't have done that. And he goes, "Can I go back?" And he t- he starts to go, and I see a look of concern on a. There's a coach on the sideline who looks like, oh, "Is it going to happen? Is he going to do it?" <laughs> he, so he tried to run back to the end zone. <laughs> but the the game is the game was you know essentially lost on those two plays. You had the. The Trent Shorefield catch at the end of the end at the back of the end zone where Eli Apple forgets to play through the whistle, and Vic Fangio pointed that out today. Uh, he also pointed out that the Bills had two guys illegally downfield, but it doesn't matter. He caught the ball, and on the punt return, you know, it's not only a total failure, but a guy blows out his knee and knocks the other wedge run rusher off of the off of his lane, and that opens it up. For the punt return touchdown. My favorite but, thing about oh, Hardy is I've been screaming all year. What do you do here? Why is this man here making this kind of money for nothing? And then everyone, of course, my phone. And what is makes just- it and what makes it all worse is that you know we're asked about it and did he outkick? Did Jake Bailey outkick his coverage? And no, the supposedly that was the call. Okay, like we were at our own forty or our own thirty-eight, I believe it was. And the call went in. No, you're punting it inside the five, and we're gonna run at it to try to not, to try to pin him deep. Well, yeah. So I mean, we're that- not gonna we're not gonna punt for for hang time. We're not gonna punt to the twenty. So sure enough, yeah, they I mean, get that down there, let, and I've tried to forget. break this down a million times. Yeah, let's not forget that Hardy fielded that at the five. Like you're not supposed to do that. Did you're not he, supposed to field that he's punt. He's not supposed to grab that. Yeah, everything punt. worked out. Everything worked out right until our 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 wedge buster blew out his knee and knocked our our fullback off of the play, and then he just busts that play up the middle. So, so, but the fault in this game has to go right back onto the offense. You run the ball successfully in the first half, and then you essentially just completely ignore it in the second half. And, and this is a dynamic that I've wanted to talk to you about since the game ended. Yes, right, it was 100 yards rushing in the first half and seven yards rushing in the second half, right? The crazy thing is that when you take a look at these pl- – okay, so, so like if you look at the game script and they talk about, oh, look at all the punts down the stretch at the end here. I'm trying to find – because I'm looking for something very specific here. Like when you look at what happened in that second half and just the the consecutive punts of – Three play drives, three play drives, three play drives. Punt, 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 punt. When you look at what was coming out of those and the play selection, so if you go to the beginning of the third and I look at this and I say, okay, the first time they get the ball, Tua opens up with a pass. Tua, second down, it's a pass. Now this is in the fourth quarter. This is one of your possessions. Pass, pass, Jeff Wilson for six yards, right? You throw a ball on third down, but there's a penalty, and now it's third and longer, and you're like, all right, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pursue this anymore. I'm just gonna punt the football. So, like, it's just this, it's this thing that you watch. And then, of course, Ryan and I, because we're petty sons of bitches, both sought out and watched the last episode <laughs> of Hard Knocks after ignoring that thing all year long because I don't, want, I don't need to see what goes on in your locker room until now. 
I look at the coach and I say to myself, you're a coach who says and does a lot of great things. You, you inspire people. You know, you, when he got hired and he's on the plane and the video of him talking to Tua about, oh, I'm going to make you the best and get the best out of you. And that's my job. And I can't wait to do it. He's, he's won so many people over. And yet at the same time, when I look at some of the things that just seem to happen to him in these moments where it's like as a play caller, as the coach, as the guy who's supposed to have his hands on the reins of this thing, it just gets as soon as that starts to snowball, it gets away from him and he's just not capable of pulling it back. And he makes he makes this call. It's like he just reverts back away from the run, goes pass heavy because that's what he knows. And it's for some reason what he trusts, even knowing how down in terms of skill players you guys are. He went actively away from your strength to a weakness, at least from a roster perspective. And then you watch Hard Knocks and you see like some of the players reacting to the speeches and you hear him giving these speeches to the team. I want to know what your thought is now, because as Mark Smith likes to remind us all the time, you told told us in a podcast earlier this year that he might be the best Dolphins coach since Don Shula. What do you think of the job he's done in these last two weeks and also what he does in these moments that seem to come back and bite him in the ass? Well, I think the game script really got away from him and the game flow conspired against him, but it's part of it is his fault, okay? And he's done this consistently Mm -hmm. throughout the year and through last year. You saw it in the Buffalo game last year, Mm -hmm. okay? Well, it was my Uh, point. Raheem Mostert had 100 yards in the first half of last year's game. And then in the yeah, second and, half, he had and, like I think you guys had twenty yards rushing as a team. Yeah, and then uh, then they went past happy in the second half. They take uh, an uh, what was it, an eight point lead or nine point lead in the fourth quarter. Yep. In the snow, they get three more possessions and ran it twice in the the three remaining possessions. And his thinking was, oh, we need to score points because they're going to score points. No, no, that's not the way it works. But, but also in his mind, and this is what I I want people to make a note of. Your head coach firmly believes that if I need to score points, the only way I can do that is by throwing the football. And that almost flies in the face of logic when you look at how well HM was doing. He was doing a phenomenal job. Jeff Wilson had a great run. Your running backs were doing well. It would have kept the clock moving. It would have put more pressure on Buffalo's defense. It would have put the balls in the hand of... I mean, everyone knows Tyreek Hill is probably the most offensive. We know even hobbled. He's probably the most talented guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But giving the ball to A-Chan is giving the ball to your most consistent guy right now. Well, the, the man the man had 800 yards rushing on 103 carries. That's set an NFL record. Yes. 7.8 yards per carry. And yet your coach, when it mattered, said this 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 freak performance that I'm getting from this guy doesn't matter because Tyreek Hill, he needs 13 targets. And it's just, and then the drops come. And one of the things I pointed out to someone on Twitter this week, people complaining about, oh, if, if, if Hill hadn't dropped this ball, if Hill hadn't dropped that ball, and then they say, well, the drops. And I go, guys, not for nothing. It did get worse down the stretch, but it's not like it was a thing just in last week's game or the week before that. Since week seven, he doubled the number of drop passes that he had since the beginning of the year. Like, something happened right around that time. This is pre-ankle injury the whole nine. You'd see him have at least a drop a game. 
think yeah, he the, yeah, but one. the problem with Tyreek Hill is that his drops are like amplified, and that's it. Well, because they always come in the worst spot where you're like, that's a breakaway touchdown if he doesn't drop. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's that, not- the one he dropped against Buffalo. Wow, like that ball was right there. And the thing is that when you watch it at full speed, you're like, whoa, that ball's coming in hot and it's high. No, watch it on. If you watch it on slow mo, it's at chest level. That ball, it's perfect. So literally between from quarterback to wide receiver to coaching. There's a lot that really just wilted on the vine. It was really, you know, we talked about it in our recap podcast. It was it was a thing that was fun to see knowing your fan base and knowing Dolphins Twitter and knowing what was going to happen. It was, oh, my God. I, knowing what was coming, it made that evening and the following day a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought that the, the Hard Knocks episode was really, really instructive, okay? Because you saw before the game, Mike McDaniel, because this was this Bills game. Yeah, we had a lot of injuries. Chubb wasn't going to play. Holland played like a handful of snaps and then took himself out of the game. So they were injured on defense, but I thought they played a pretty heroic. That was a pretty heroic effort on defense. They tried. <laughs> uh, allowing Josh Allen two touchdowns and turning him over three times, that's effective. Three hundred okay. at one point we had three hundred and five yards of offense and seven points. Yeah, that's effective. I care about the scoreboard. Always yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you know? So it was instructive to watch that Hard Knocks episode and watch how Mike McDaniel was essentially selling to the offense. Look, this is the first time in over a month that we're gonna have three offensive line starters back. We're gonna rely on you guys to win the game. And then the game starts, and they're running the football. And it's according to exactly what he said. Because this is one thing that, and this is a, a huge thing in the real Dolphin analytical community, okay? Which is we throw the ball, but our offensive line is built as a run-blocking unit. Like all those guys across the board, they're good run blockers. Even our backups. Like Rob Jones, the guy who stepped in at left guard, that guy's a mauler. But he's completely lost in pass pro. All right? Yeah. That's the Shanahan teams, right? Like, that's the philosophy. So, our run line is our offensive line is really good as a run blocking unit, but it was instructive to watch that game and the Hard Knocks episode how Mike McDaniel tells the offense this and gets them to implement that for the first half, then goes completely away from it. And then you saw how Vic Fangio handled the, the end of the first half and how somebody like Jerome Baker actually understood the strategy which kind of tells you the intelligence or the lack thereof on either side of the ball. You know, Jerome Baker telling our safety, if Kincaid runs the angle route, did you see that part? Mm-hmm. Well, he says, if he runs the angle route, let him catch it. Because he's going to be short, and there's going to be two of us standing here. And sure enough, the, the, that whole strategy worked. And if you looked at the sideline, Tua and some of the offensive players on the play before where we're allowing you to get 10 yards because all we wanted for you to do was kill three or four seconds. So that way you're at a one play, at a possibility of a one play, and if you don't get it, you're kicking the field goal anyway. But we can't stop you in bounds. So we wanted you to run off at least four more seconds. So we want to induce you to throw a 10-yard pass because who cares if you're at the 20 or at the 12, mm-hmm. right? And if you look at the offensive side, at the sideline, you had Tua, you had Mike McDaniel, you had Tyreek Hill all staring at the scoreboard, dumbfounded, like, what kind of idiocy are we doing? No, no, that's Vic Fangio actually coaching his ass off, and you guys don't get it. 
<laughs> so you, you guys can... don't get the the strategy involved here at the end of the half. And so this is where I, I, I guess I, I you know, if, if we're going to start to wind this conversation down, you've got a coaching staff who for the first time, in, I, I want to say in a while, they got like a really moments of savvy from Vic Fangio. And at the same time, it comes, you know, you, you're thinking like, okay, we can both peak at the same time. Nope. Your no. offensive coordinator head coach just lets this one get away from him again. And now you watch him have to go in there and sell this to a Dolphins locker room and a fan base who I've seen what's going on out there. <laughs> it's people. Ryan, you've seen this in football before. When you have a coach whose message is always these platitudes of like, hey, don't worry, guys, I'm going to say the thing. We got to the hard things and we got to swallow the bitter medicine so we can get better and blah, 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 blah. But it rings a little bit hollow when the players can look at you and go, we didn't do all of that. (laughs) Some of this was you and I don't hear any of that. Like, what are you going to do differently? This is the recipe for how you can kind of backslide as a team that thought it was building towards something. Yeah, so, I, th- I thought it was telling on the Hard Knocks episode. There was like right at the start of the episode, I forget who it was. It was I think it was the linebackers coach where they walked in and it was Duke Riley was talking to whoever the linebackers coach is. And the linebackers coach made some comment where he's like, I'm going to put you guys in a better position. I'm going to call you know better plays for you guys to be successful. And then like the entirety of the rest of the episode, McDaniel was like, you know, adversity adversity we've got to be better you guys have got to do this you guys got to do that and there wasn't and and that not to say he's not doing it it's just it was telling that they didn't call out the fact that he's taking ownership and and maybe he is maybe he's not but they're not showing that he's taking ownership and that was i thought a different dichotomy between what we saw in the linebackers coach early in the episode versus the 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 rah-rah stuff that mcdaniel was doing throughout the episode so our listeners will will never forgive me if i don't ask you this final question what were the moments like personally for you? You shut the TV off. <laughs> the game. First of all, the game ends. You shut the TV off. What's going on in the world of El Fartiaga the moment you shut that TV off? Uh, I put music on and I was drinking and smoking <laughs> cigars in my backyard. Uh, <laughs> th- like that's what that's what happened. Uh, uh, I always celebrate the end of the season the same way, uh, no matter how it ends, you know. But yeah, I, you know, I, I've I said my piece on on OnlyFans and, and on the podcast. Yep. Uh, this was one of the biggest failures in franchise history. You know, because yeah, it's a you could step back from it and say, you know what, this was a pretty remarkable coaching job to get eleven wins out of a roster that lost as much as it lost. They won a game against the Dallas Cowboys in that pass rush with four backup offensive linemen. Nobody would have given credit for that, but they actually did that. Okay? But they had enough to win the T-shirt and hat game. And some people will say, ah, who gives a crap about T-shirts and hats? Just go beat Kansas City this week. Yeah, that's all well and good. I give a crap about T-shirts and hats. The players the players care. The players care. The players give a crap about T-shirts and hats. If you see the Bills' social media after that game when they do the big dubs, there were 80% of the guys said – Shirt and hat, t-shirt hat, right? Like, yeah, they, they care. These they, guys want to win stuff. They're not. They're not. Why at, you play? The they're game. not professional athletes to yeah. to have and moral victories. Yeah, and that's one thing I will give uh, McDaniel credit for is that when they lost the game, he actually told the team, and he went up there and he, and he said it in his post game presser when he says, "Look, we failed." And 
you know, it's hard not to, you know, it's hard to hear a head coach say fail and your season's not over yet. But when we first met in April, we said that was our chief goal among everything else. Before winning a Super Bowl, before winning a playoff game, before doing anything else, it was winning the AFC East. And 11 wins wasn't enough. So it has to be 12. And if 12 is not enough, it has to be 13. So uh, it's a good thing. I always like to hear my, my head coaches use the word fail, you know, and it, use it correctly. Because I thought it, it was yeah. a failure. Like that was a – look, they're playing in the playoffs this week. It doesn't matter. Okay, you win this week, it still doesn't matter. You win the following week, maybe you can begin to erase it. But what if you win the following week and you're traveling to Buffalo and you know that that game could have been in Miami? Yeah. You know? That's it. So, so no matter how you slice it, it was a failure. And they, they acknowledge it, and that's, that's the good thing. But, um, you know, there's so much has been – look, uh, I, I took a lot from that game. And one thing I noticed about Buffalo – they, they did a very hard adjustment in the second half. They just said, look, we're going to go single high. We're going to double Tyreek. And we're completely disrespecting the rest of these clowns. Yep. And guess what? They were right. <coughs> and I think that that should signal to Chris Greer and company, yep, the rest of these guys are not it. You got two studs. You didn't have the second stud because he was injured in Jalen Waddle. You got two studs. You need a third guy that you can rely on because none of these guys can cut it. None of them. Durham Smith is a nice backup tight end. That's all he is. He's he shouldn't be anyone's number one. But we said that at the beginning no. of the year. Yeah, this was this roster and, was built with intention. And, and did I'm, I know my did I know my prediction or not? I said the Dolphins would not have thirty catches from their tight ends this year. I think they have thirty two. They didn't have for the first time in franchise history a touchdown. Wow! From a tight end. Think about it this way: the Miami Dolphins set a record, uh, a franchise record. Four touchdowns this season. The and tight end single get, one just accidentally fell in the hands of a tight end. No, not <laughs> one. Well, there's well, always next year. They know the no, they know the way forward. Well, there's always next year. That's the beautiful thing about football. Not for you guys. Your season isn't over. You guys are going to head into what is a hilarious blizzard game that we Bills fans we we've had to do this shit before. Light work. So nobody. I don't know about light work, but nobody feels <laughs> sorry for you. Like nobody's going to feel sorry for the Dolphins. In fact, I tweeted at the Hard Rock Sun account. And I was like, "Let's hey hey, you see all this whining? Can we have a conversation about this?" Where can in the run up to this? Because I'm sure we're going to be like I'm salivating over it. Where can everybody find your work? Where can they find all of the pre Miami KC game stuff and all of the fallout if they so choose? You get all our stuff on our podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcast. That's the number three yards per carry. You want to check out our Twitter account? It's also the number three yards per carry. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Alfar Tiaga just ended. <laughs> He's a loser. <laughs> job squad of the uh, AFC East. The job squad. squad. There's no all kinds of wrestling references. That's how we work here. There's no <laughs> other spot where I would fit this in other than right here because I just need it. A, a, qu a quick quip, Brian. We can begin with you. It's going to probably be part of offseason content. Uh, I don't know if people forgot, but the Buffalo Bills don't have. Uh, defensive coordinator Wink Martindale available who's interested pass Ooh, pass 
Just curious. We'll be looking. I hear Leslie Frazier's back in the game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. We're, we're, I, I wonder where <laughs> Leslie Frazier might end up a defensive coordinator. Well, he just interviewed for the head coaching job in, He's gonna go in to the uh, Giants. San Diego, right? Yeah. Well, Vegas, or, uh, Los, Los Angeles. Now. He's going to the Giants. Mark it down. Defensive coordinator. All right. Oh, him and Dable back together, huh? Yeah, and Joe Shane. Uh, you don't right. think that that's yeah. a... All right. You don't think that that would work? All right. Hey. Guys, we fucking did it. Cheers. I'll make the noise. I don't have any. Can you hand me... Well, do you want some? No, I'm good. Can you hand me a pills? He's got to drive to Rochester safely. Well, we still have to eat. We we have not yet eaten. To go. Guys, these are... Here's here's what I'll say. For the first time in this podcast's history, this specific podcast history... The Bills had to struggle. Like, we didn't maintain the top spot until the final week. How many weeks did we spend at what? I mean, I was going to say, it's, we've spent points in the basement. We started there. Mm-hmm. It's where this podcast is. And then slowly over the course of the season, we morphed into the Buffalo Bills, morphed into this team that was 6-6 six and six, with a less than 1% chance to be the two seed. Winning our division and hosting a home playoff game. Not gonna lie, it doubts. Chris doubts. Yes, we had doubts. <laughs> Don't say it like I'm not gonna lie. I had doubts. We had doubts. Uh, some of us. Anyone who didn't is a liar. Some of them might, might have had more to drink than most. Screamed into some microphones about the head coach, about the coordinators, about everything. Just bad luck. Our lot in life. Like, that's human, I think, for Bills fans. When you've experienced as much career disappointment, like if that's the way you want to look at it, career disappointment, this is what we've been conditioned to believe our lot is. You are just perennially waiting for the other shoe to drop. This season, the shoe dropped early. Mm Mm-hmm. And you said, oh, wait a minute, I'm not good. My coach is bad. My offensive coordinator doesn't know what he's doing. And we whinged and we screamed and we thrashed and we lamented. Sean McDermott's December record is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. December or January record. It's the thing I find myself thinking about. He is one of the winningest coaches in the month of December. And you go back to think about it. Bill Belichick made a he it's a cottage industry for him. He goes, listen, we'll be a mediocre team in September and October because we're still figuring it out. When we hit the last month and a half of the season, we will be the best version of the team that we can be. Tell me they weren't. Yeah, no, absolutely. They went from a six and six team and even losing and getting to six and six, losing to the Eagles. Tell me you didn't see the bones of something where you go, that could be a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, I think I think so. I think you looked at that Philly game, and, and this was obviously before the downfall of Philly, right, which is what we're watching now. Or yeah. Five straight now that they've lost. Um, But, yeah, I think you watched that Philly game, and you went, well, they went to the Super Bowl last year. They're as good as anybody this year, and you were blow for blow with them. If not for this, if not for that, you win that football game. And yeah, maybe we got something here. 
I have a conspiracy, a conspiracy theory. It's almost like the ring. You're cursed and you want to get rid of it, but you can't. You have to hand it off to somebody. Yeah. We went into Philly and we handed them our bag. Yeah, <laughs> and they won that game. And they proceeded to just nosedive after playing us and beating us at home with all of the help they got from the officials and all of the horse shit. And the Bills went into their bye week and came out the other side clean. Yeah. It's almost like they burned a little sage. They were like, all right, whatever whatever we had, we rubbed it off on them and just kind of walked away. Good. That's that's pool of the city deserves it. And well, exactly. Fuck that dump. Like, if only it could just become a sinkhole. And then we could fill it in with garbage and it would just look it would look similar to what it yeah, looks it like look today. Different. I love trashing Philly. I think that this Bills team rounded a significant corner in a way that most teams that we've, most Josh Allen teams that we've rooted for haven't. This team fought early adversity. Usually things start well, which this did, mm-hmm. but you could already see the fractures starting in the games. You know, you, you, you can only play Miami and the Commanders so many times before you have to go to London and play the Jaguars and go. Why is this so slow? Yeah. Why why does our quarterback not turn it on until the fourth quarter? Why are we losing in Foxborough? What the hell is happening? And then you go to the depths and then you come out the other side and now you are where we are now, where you're a two seed and you go, hot is has this been did I get hit in the head? Is this all a dream? Am I gonna wake up? Like I'm gonna watch the Bills hoist a Lombardi. And then I'm going to wake up and I'm on my kitchen floor. My wife's going to be like, I told you I had the freezer door open. And I'm just laying there with a goose egg like, oh, none of it was real. It feels that improbable. Do you think that this is sustainable into the postseason? Uh, I mean, listen, I, I've brought it up a couple of different times over the course of tonight, wherever this episode falls. But, I mean, when you have the best quarterback in the NFL – and I think right now it's Josh and Lamar are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you go out and you have your quarterback be the best guy on the field, best guy on the planet against a, a team like Miami and will that team to victory throw him on his back in the second half. And then he comes out of the game and in his press conference says, you know, the last two drives, the ball was coming out of my hand better than it has all season. You look at that. And then you look at a head coach who the flaws that we've talked about on this team, the flaws that he has as a head coach. um, If you've got that quarterback that can erase those problems, can cover up those flaws that your coach brings you, those, you know, I really would have used a timeout there, would have been really nice if we would have gone for it there, those kinds of things. But then you've got just like an alien that's going to throw the team on the back. But that coach is really, really good at doing the defense thing. Like, that's tough to beat because there's there's two things that we've learned about the NFL. Defense travels. Defense shows up in the playoffs. And teams that peak at the right time don't have to be the teams that have been good all season long. How many times have we watched these teams? Philadelphia did it the year they won the Super Bowl. The Giants. How many times have we, the Giants. How many times have we watched mm. these teams where it's like, the, you just talked about the Patriots did it year after year after year where it's like, ah, maybe this is the year. They're not that good. And then it's like, oh, shit, at the end of the year, they won the division. They're the two seed. 
and now they go on a run, and it's like they're the best team in the NFL. You don't have to be the best team in the NFL for 18 weeks. You have to mm-hmm. be the best team in the NFL for four. That's... Do I trust that this Buffalo Bills team can be the best team in the NFL for four weeks? Absolutely, <clears throat> because I've seen them do it. That is the best way you could say it. You nailed it. I feel that way. Like, that's... that's I just... I think to myself, we're in. We somehow improbably hold home court. Mm-hmm. Now just go do the work that you know you're capable of against guys who all have the same question marks you do. And in fact, they're all questioning themselves more than you are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have all the confidence in the world, or at least you should. I can't wait to see what this team is. I'm just happy that we somehow found our way here. And guys, with that in mind, <laughs> I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Ryan Lasel. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.